tonight, on the Midnight Train Podcast. We take the train to sunny Los Angeles where we discuss the strange events that have transpired at the Cecil Hotel. Is it haunted? What happened to Eliza Lamb? Warning, we say things like, fuck 2020. Seriously. What a shit year. And, fuck fuckity fuck shit murder fuck. Oh, and Evan is out on a world beatbox competition, so wish him luck. All aboard. And welcome to the Midnight Train Podcast. And first and foremost, Happy New Year. It's awesome. It's 2021. That's right. And of course, you guys know that uh, we bring the dark to light, or at least we try to. And what's that mean? People say uh, we make fun of and joke about creepy stuff. Hey. Can I ask you what that meant? Yeah, that's what it means. You didn't give me a chance. Sorry. (laughs) But we do that while bringing you as much information on each topic as possible. I am your host, the conductor of the cryptic, Jonathan Sayer. (laughs) And with me, as always... Is actually Mr. Moody. Yeah, buddy. What's better, up? What's going on? Button, All right. There you go. There you go. I'll take the applause today. Unfortunately, uh, <laughs> due to New Year's and the holiday and everything else, like uh, Jeff is not with us today. Correct. He's with he's us got in, in family, family things and other stuff. Yeah, he's got stuff. So he's taking a little bit of a he hiatus. He just, doesn't like us anymore. Just for this episode, I think. He takes a lot of hiatuses. <laughs> Who can you? I mean, can you blame him? I mean... Everybody yeah. needs Yeah, to... I can blame him. Well, look, I mean, obviously we can blame <laughs> him, but... I mean, he's got kidney stones, and he's got the freaking corona. I mean, dude's luck sucks. Apparently, he's got a kid that he's got to take care of. Yeah, he's got, fuck that's got all about. that going on. Jesus. <laughs> no, nah, but he'll be back with us next week for sure. So you beautiful bunch of dark passengers know that we're just a couple of musicians and assholes that love history and can't get enough of the mysterious... We want you all to know how much it means to us that you're listening to us at this very moment. Your reviews and support really do make all the hard work worthwhile. In saying that, please stop on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now and give us a five-star review. It really does, does, does help. I have no idea why. It just, it fucking helps, whatever. Also, you can find us on Spotify and iHeartRadio by typing the Midnight Train Podcast in their search bar and clicking the follow button. You'll then get each episode as they are released, as you probably already know, though. What's so, up? so like we were talking earlier, we've noticed that we have a lot more Spotify listeners than anywhere else, right? Yeah, that's crazy. Do you, do you think we could hit up Spotify to get one of those Joe Rogan contracts? <laughs> Let's work on that. <laughs> hey, Spotify, <laughs> can we get one of those Joe Rogan contracts? Oh, yeah. How many listeners you got? I don't know, like 40, 50. <laughs> <laughs> we got six. Who cares? They, they like what we do. <laughs> no, there's a hell of a lot more than that. We appreciate you guys. And Patreon subscribers will be getting... An amazing bonus that I actually just found out myself. Surprise, recently. surprise. We threw out a couple of new bonuses uh, just this past uh, past couple weeks. Yep. We did one on the uh, Velisca murders. Yep. And, and how it tied in with the uh, Hinterkaifeck. Right. And then uh, we did just kind of a wrap-up fuck 2020 little banter that thing that was fun. Yeah, yeah that was yeah. fun. I thought that was really cool. We went over like the top 10 movies or 20, 20 movies. 20 movies of, of 2020. Of 2020, yep. yeah, which were pretty much all garbage. Yeah, I, I had only heard of like three of them. Yeah, yeah, it's just horrible. But you guys can get those bonuses by just going over to patreon.com forward slash the midnight train podcast. 
you know, sign up over there. Or you know what? If you if you if you don't have if you don't want to commit to that, you can always just go to the Midnight Trading Podcast.com and just sign up. Sign up and say, hey, we like you guys. It's free. Do whatever. But if yeah, you're like, wow, absolutely. we really like these guys a lot, you know, th- throw some bones. You know what I mean? Throw some bones. It helps us. A quarter. It helps us get stuff. A quarter would be great. And it's whatever. Whatever you 50 can. 50 cents. It's like a cup of coffee at McDonald's because we're old and we get the senior discount. Buckeye card, right? Yeah, that's right, buddy. Is that only in Ohio because it's a Buckeye card? Does yeah, that make well, sense? yeah. I'm sure I... other states have their own yeah. version of the old people card. <laughs> <laughs> Down here, this one's called the Moonshine Card. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, sign up if you can. Uh, you know, or like I said, just go over to the uh, the actual website, the Midnight Train Podcast, and sign up there. Just become a member. It's super fun. It's super cheap. Yeah, you get to see all kinds of cool shit. Now, listen, we're going into something pretty cool that people have been talking about for a while. Okay, I've heard about this. Uh. What we're discussing today through multiple people. And I, I, I've known about instances that have happened there, right? But <clears throat> I've never. I guess I just didn't put know. it all together. I didn't put it all right. together until so, until just now. So this is one of those ones that there was a pretty high profile case, somewhat recent within the last like three years, <clears throat> and uh, I didn't realize that this is where it took place until I started looking into everything. So I was like, whoa. And then you go into the, then you start getting back further. It's pretty crazy. That's awesome. Well, listen, let's turn down the lights. Okay. Adjust our seats. All right. Grab a drink. And let's get spooky. But first, here's a toast to all of you. The sky's so gray. All right, so here we go. You may or may not know or have heard of the Cecil or Cecil Hotel, a.k.a. the Stay on Main Hotel in Los Angeles, right? Right. It is in Los Angeles. Well, first and foremost, welcome to the first episode of 2021. And uh, we hope you guys all enjoyed the last episode for 2020. That was uh, (laughs) interesting, to say the least. It was fun. It was uh, the Hatfields and McCoys. Good time. And uh, we had a, some, some special guest hosts, <laughs> I guess is what you want to call it. It was fine. I, literally, I just listened to it again today <laughs> at, uh, on the way back to the studio here. And I just, I seriously just, it's it's funny. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen. It's you, not our normal need, episode. If you need a good laugh, it's, yeah. it was a good way to end a shitty year. Let's yeah, put it that way. Yeah. So we're alive and well, and we're going to take a much needed vacation. Where are we headed? You may ask, Moody. Um. Hey. Where are we headed? Well, we're headed to sunny Los Angeles, California. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Hopefully you passengers hang on and come with us. Los Angeles, the city of angels and tons of weird people and rich movie types that are better than we are. <laughs> but fuck them, right? Yeah. Only because they have money. That's all. <laughs> and uh believe Kid Rock said it's where women come equipped with scripts and fake breasts, correct? 
I don't listen to Kid Rock. I'm sorry. You don't remember that from back in the day? Does he? Does he say that? Yeah, it's that cowboy song. I think. Yeah, he's with Kid Rock. He's yeah, I know who he is, but he's uh, the guy that like turned country. Yet he's from Detroit. Yeah, he used to rap with ICP, right? And then he turned into Kid Rock, like the crappy new metal ish mall rock dude, right? And now he's country. Or now something. he's country or or he did that or shit whatever. song with Cheryl Crow? Yeah, yeah. Ugh, I yeah. can't stand. And yet people love him. You know what? Listen. People like us, and we don't know why. You know what I mean? Like, I think Snakebike from last week liked him. <laughs> Snakebike probably did like it, <laughs> but he didn't understand. Yeah. No, not at all. We're not headed there for a tour of no. Stars Homes. You know, we're not headed there to further okay. Jeff's acting career with he... uh, casting couch auctions. <laughs> yes. Yeah, in yes. some seedy office with a casting couch, and we all know where that is. <laughs> no, my friends, we're headed specifically to 640 South Main Street, Los hmm. Angeles, California. What sits at that address, you may be wondering, well, it's none other than the Cecil Hotel, a.k.a. the Hotel Cecil, a.k.a. the Cecil, a.k.a. the Stay on Main Hotel, a.k.a. whatever the fuck the next name is going to be. That's right, the famous or maybe infamous Cecil Hotel. And this is one that, uh, again, people have been asking about for a while, and yeah. I'm glad we actually dove into this because it's pretty fucking crazy. And if this sounds familiar, but you can't quite place it, well... Uh, we'll get to what uh, what's most recently made this place famous in a bit, but first buckle up because here's a little bit of history for you. So, the Cecil was built in 1924 by hotelier. Is is that what uh, hotelier? Yes. Hotel. Ooh, I make hotel. I guess you could put it like a hotelier. Ooh. A, <laughs> oh, I make hotelier. <laughs> I make the hotels for people, and they're like, wow, this is great. Where did Pierre come from? I make hotels. Do you? No, I am French. You don't do anything. I don't do anything. <laughs> so anyway, his name is William Banks Hanner with partners Charles L. Dix and Robert H. Shops. It was uh, supposed to be a designa uh, des destination hotel for international businessmen and social elites. So this place was supposed to be like just, the, you know, the creme de la creme. Yeah, they were trying to make some money, man. Right. And, you know, get all the rich people in there. That's Well, L.A. is a good spot to do it. If you're gonna do it anywhere, especially in like the the 20s and 30s and 40s, like I mean, L.A. was freaking amazing. Well, that would depend on where you're at, and you'll see why later well, in, this, yeah, in a little bit. This episode, I guess I'm more talking about <laughs> Hollywood. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely, because like even in that area, like the depression through the 30s hit, but like most of that area, the nicer area, kind of. They weren't insulated from it, but they they fared a lot better than most people. Well, I'm saying like pre and post depression. Yeah, it was like you know, oh yeah, all the glamour. That's and when glitz. the boom, dude. Those early 20s films started taking off. And right, that's what I'm saying. So designed by Lloyd Lester Smith in the Beau Art style and constructed by W. W. Payton, the hotel cost 1.5 million dollars to complete, and that's 1924 money. Yeah, holy yeah. shit, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. I don't have the uh, I don't have I don't have the conversion in here for that. I have one a little bit later, but it's not for that. So y'all are smart. Figure it out. <laughs> Could look it up right now. If you want me to. Yeah, yeah. Find out what that means in today's money. And it boasted an opulent marble lobby with stained glass windows, potted palms, and alabaster statuary. The three hotel hotel I hate this word already. Hoteliers hoteliers invested about $2.5 million, knowing several other similar hotels had been constructed and open in the area. They had the utmost confidence in their venture. Unfortunately for them, only a few years after opening the hotel, disaster would strike. It's actually not that bad when you think about building a hotel. Okay. It's only these days it would be just under 15 million. 
No. That's what From it 1924 says. money? Adjusted for inflation, well, $1 million. So it would be about $20, $20 million, roughly. It 21, seems like 21 million? It doesn't seem like a lot, does it? No, to build a freaking like 10, 12 story hotel. Yeah, that's fucking In the crazy. middle of fucking Los Angeles. Yeah, that seems, I don't know, that seems weird to me. <laughs> yeah. So not only would it strike the three hoteliers, but the nation as a whole. The country was plunged into, yes, you, you guessed it, the Great Depression. The Great Depression started in the United States after a major fall in stock prices that began around September 4th, 1929 and became worldwide news with the stock market crash of October 29th, 1929, also known as Black Tuesday. Between 1929 and 1932, worldwide gross domestic product, that's the GDP for you folks out there, fell by an estimated 15%. By comparison, worldwide GDP fell by less than 1% from 2008 to 2009 during the Great Recession. And that's what everyone was losing their fucking houses, yeah. businesses, yeah. and everything. And that was 1%. 1%. Yeah. So let's just kind of put that into context there. Throw another 14 on top of that and see where we're at. It's fucking crazy. Oh, man, it'd be crazy today. However, in many countries, the negative effects of the Great Depression lasted until the beginning of World War II. And, of course, what helps the economy better than war? Absolutely. It always does. Everybody gets on board, spends money. Everyone spends money. Everyone that's gets right. jobs because they got to build stuff. They got to yep. have guns and they got to have surpluses and all this stuff. It just it makes sense. It does. So the Great Depression had devastating effects in both rich and poor countries. Uh, personal income, tax revenue, profits and prices dropped, while international trade fell by more than 50 <laughs> percent. It sucks. Damn, <laughs> Unemployment in the U.S. rose to 23%, and in some countries rose as high as 33%. That means like... Th- a that's, quarter of the U.S. population yeah, was that's, out of work. That's a lot. Or in some countries, a third. Yeah. That's fucking insane. Ugh, like one out of every, every three people doesn't have a job. Yeah, that's ridiculous. While this was happening, the hotel hung on as best as it could to its roots of being a destination for wealthy socialites. Unfortunately, those were heard... Um, Hard, sorry. Those were (laughs) moody, you fucker. Those people were hard to come by at that point. As the Depression wore on, the area around the hotel became the infamous Skid Row. And no, not the band. Even though I do love Skid Row. I'm sorry. I do. Fucking love them too, dude. 18 and left. Good God. Love it. Now, we're not talking to Sebastian Bob for a band like I just mentioned. And they did have some many great songs. Oh, yeah, dude. Jeez. To give you an idea of the area, Youth Gone Wild was amazing, yeah. yeah. To give you an idea of the area that the hotel was in and had to deal with while trying to keep a clientele, here's a brief history on that. At the end of the 19th century, a number of residential hotels opened in the area as it became home to a transient population of seasonal laborers. By the 1930s, Skid Row was home to as many as 10,000 homeless people, alcoholics, and others on the margins of society. Yikes. Yeah. That's a lot. If you look at pictures of that area today, it's still, like, ridiculous. Okay, so we're exactly in conjunction uh, to L.A. I believe, I want to say it's, like, the south side of L.A. I was looking it up. Um, I believe it's the south side of L.A. Because, I mean, I've been to L.A. quite a few times, you know. Yeah, we've been, yeah. And I don't know if I've ever been to that part. I guess I would remember if I had. <laughs> hey, where's yeah, the most, I'm pretty sure you would have. Where's the most sure desolate part around here? Oh, yeah, there it is. Uh, it's a neighborhood in downtown Los Angeles area, also known as Central City East. It is. He, he's looking it up. Yeah, I'm just looking, man. Because you guys want to know, too, right? 
Well, here you go, too. Here you go. Covers 50 city blocks, 2.71 square miles, immediately east of downtown Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Bordered by 3rd Street to the north, 7th Street to the south, Alameda Street to the east, and Main Street to the west. Okay. And it is rough. As of 2019, the population of the district was 4,757, and it contains, shit, one of the largest stable populations of homeless in the United States at about depending on the time, between 4,200 and 8,000 people still to this day. As Homeless of, people. As of 2019. Okay, but let's think about this. I go any, anywhere I go, especially north. Right. I always think to myself, why in the fuck are you homeless in Cleveland? Oh, well, yeah, if you're going to be homeless. If you're going to be homeless, LA is the place to go. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's always going to be sunny and for the most part. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Also, think about this, though. 8,000 people possibly... <laughs> in a 2.71 square mile radius, 8,000 homeless people. They're crammed on top of each other. That's yeah. ridiculous. That is, that's fucking horrible. <laughs> well, at this time, it supported saloons, residential hotels, and social services, which drew people from the populations they served to congregate in the area. In June 1947, Los Angeles Police Department Chief Clements B. Horrell, <laughs> what a, that's a great name. <laughs> Sounds like he should have been on our last episode. <laughs> Clements B. Hurl. He ordered what he called a blockade raid of the whole Skid Row area. Over 350 people were arrested. Assistant Chief Joseph Reed, who claimed that at least 50% of all the crime in Los Angeles originates in the Skid Row area, stated that there had been no strong arm robberies on Skid Row as late as one week after the raid. Longtime residents, however, were skeptical that he uh, the changes would actually last. That's crazy. I don't understand, like, because remember when we were doing the uh, the Cleveland Torso Killer, huh. they raided those hobo that hobo camp. Right. Like, what what purpose does that serve? Like, they didn't catch anybody for that. They obviously they arrested what three hundred people in this, but like, what did they really charge them with? I think it's, it's you know what I'm saying. Like, what, is, what do they expect it to do? I think they're just trying to get the derelicts out of there. But they're just gonna come right back. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. If there was 10,000 people there and they arrested 350 of them, like, what the fuck good does that I know, do? It's like a, you think it's more of like a warning to everybody else? <clears throat> Maybe. I don't know. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's just let them fucking be, dude. Yeah, I mean. If you're not going to help them, just fucking leave them alone. I, but if they're the ones that it causing, what they're saying basically 50% of all crime in Los Angeles originated from that one small area. Yeah, but is that true? They can say that all they want just to give them a reason to do that. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I, actually, I just wonder what point that serves. Yeah, what purpose I don't it know. serves? It doesn't. Know. I mean, I, I don't know. Well, you know, it probably for the rest of the community outside of that, like the people who you know, makes them feel better. It makes them feel better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm paying property them, taxes. Yeah, them rich people want to feel safe. Right. Exactly. I, that's what it has to come down to. Yeah. So in 1956, the city of Los Angeles was in the midst of a program to rehabilitate Skid Row through the clearance of decaying buildings. Seems like that went well. Yeah. <laughs> the program was presented to property owners in the area as an economy measure or economic measure. Uh, Gilbert Morris, then superintendent of uh, building, uh, the superintendent of buildings, said that at the point, uh, excuse me, at that point, the provision of free social services to the approximate, uh, approximately one square mile of Skid Row cost the city over $5 million per year, Jesus. as opposed to the city average of 110000 per square mile annually. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, well, that's what happens when you get all those people crammed in one spot. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, well, then there's another reason why they want to get them out of there. Yeah. The city used... to go somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> go fuck up somebody else's town. That's <laughs> yeah. so what they did in New York, remember? Right. They shipped all the homeless people out. They're oh, like, yeah. fuck you, get out of here. San Diego's nicer. Go down there. Yeah. 
The city used administrative um, uh, hearings to compel the destruction of uh, nuisance properties at the expense of the owner. By July 1960, which is fucked up. <laughs> at the expense of the owner. Of the owner. So if you owned a house and it was like dilapidated or just fucked up or whatever, they would tear it down and then charge you for it. Yeah, because basically they're going to tell you that it's your fault that it's like that. You let it get that way. So you have to pay us because we had to tear it down. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> Jesus. By July 1960, the clearance program was said to be 87% complete in the Skid Row area. With increased building codes. <laughs> now there's just nowhere for anyone to live. Right, yeah. <laughs> with increased building codes during the 60s, owners of residential hotels found demolition to be more cost-effective than adhering to repairs. The total number of these buildings is estimated to have dropped from 15,000 to 7,500 over the following decade. Many residents of the area found themselves homeless with the loss of half of the affordable housing provided by hotels. So you just it took an made area, the problem worse. Right. You literally took a spot that had a ton of homeless people <clears throat> and then made a lot more people homeless. Right. They thought they were <laughs> fixing the problem, but they just made it 10 times worse. <laughs> so fucking dumb. So Skid Row was established by city officials in 1976 as an unofficial containment zone <laughs> where shelters and services for homeless people would be tolerated. So in other words, tolerated, you could be homeless, but you had to stay there. Yeah, basically they tried to, yeah, they they basically were like, well, if we can't fucking fight it, we might as well just send everybody over there. Like, if you're going to be homeless, whatever, just fucking go there. Yeah. Go over there. I don't want you dirtying up my street. Go and down, basically, like, go down if the you, skid row. As it says where shelters and services, too. So they were probably like, look, I get you're homeless, I get whatever, but if you want to, if you want any of our services, you're going to have to go over here. So basically, they kind of forced them in there, like healthcare and yeah. things like that, to help like them the out free, like social service programs and stuff like that. Soup, everything was centered out. Yeah, like that. exactly. So during the 1970s, two Catholic workers, Catherine, uh, Catherine, Catherine Morris, uh, Kath, her name is Catherine. It might be Catherine. You never maybe, know. Maybe, maybe, maybe I changed it for her. There you yeah. go. You made, form, it, you made it sound nicer. That's right. She's a former nun, and her husband Jeff Dietrich founded the Hippie Kitchen in the back of a van. Over 40 years later, in March 2019, aged 84 and 72. They remained active in their work feeding Skid Row residents. That's cool. It's fucking amazing. That is super cool. That's awesome. Oh, there, there's not really a lot of people like that out there, dude. Not, not at all. That, not that we'd go to that extent. She wasn't none, so. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> God told her what to do, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Still good. She's still doing it. Yeah, Give her fucking credit for that, man. It's fucking crazy. Good for them. Throughout the 1960s and 1970s, many veterans of the Vietnam War found themselves drawn to Skid Row due to the services and missions already in place there and feeling outcast from other areas. Like those after World War II, many of them ended up on the streets. It was around this time that the demographics of Skid Row shifted from predominantly white and elderly to those here today. Now, what's f I'm just going to touch on this real quick. The fact that we don't take care of our, our military after they're done serving is fucking garbage to me. It's... Yeah, I agree. It's better now than it was because they're talking about the... Se after Vietnam, it oh, was... Oh, I know. Dude, you... you you would have been better off staying in Vietnam. Even today, though, like, so a buddy of mine... It's crazy, the disrespect of just everything. Yeah, it's, they it's threw them away. They, threw them away. they Even, used them and threw them away. If That's you don't believe as just a, you know, just a regular person in the United States, if you don't believe in what they're fighting for, at least believe it, that they did fight for you. You know what I mean? They yeah. went over, they served, yeah. they've done, especially during wars. Yeah. Fuck, you made it out of a fucking war that you probably didn't even want to be in because you were drafted. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, Vietnam, most of those guys were drafted in. They didn't have a choice. That's what I'm saying. And then, then, then they come home, and we just fucking shit on them. Yeah, it's, fuck you for being over there. Yep. I had a friend of mine that went to, uh, he was in the Army right after high school, and uh, he went in to be a Green Beret, all right? Okay. Got out, couldn't find a fucking job. 
That's fucking ridiculous. Couldn't get a job. <laughs> That's like the guy you want at your work. Right. Like, hey, we, we're just going to let this guy do everything. Like, right. He's... Could not find a job, and then um, finally he started working at a seven fucking eleven. Yeah. Then actually got a job working at a. He got a pretty good job someplace, and then got in trouble for selling drugs. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Let's just say things didn't turn out was, too well for him. That was a lot more of a downer than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, sorry. I thought you were going to be like he owns a company now and nope. he's doing really well. No, he's doing well now. Oh, okay. he, oh yeah, now he he got in trouble for that way yeah. back. Oh, all right. Yeah, he's right. he's doing a lot better now. Well, yeah, you went to high school like. 32, 34. Right, exactly. During the Great <laughs> Depression, actually. Yeah. Now, now, that only takes us through the 70s, but uh, we can tell you it didn't get any better after that. The reason we went through a small history of Skid Row is to show how the area had changed and the type of people that inhabited the area. The reason to show this will become evident, uh, like right about now. So by the uh, 50s, the hotel had become a place known to house transients and drug dealers and many unsavory types. Mm, keep those unsavory types out yeah, of my Yeah, we don't area. want to see them. Right. Put them over in Skid Row. Right. Go back to where you belong. <laughs> this would lead to a history of murder, suicide, and other tragedy. That would ultimately lead to uh, uh, tales of the hotel being haunted. The hotel <laughs> would more recently... <laughs> be, okay, I got to say this. It literally says... That would ultimately lead to takes of the hotel being haunted. But I know Moody's handwriting now. You cover it well, dude. It's good. <laughs> so the hotel would more recently become the location of a story that would capture the attention of the world due to its strangeness. Strangeness. I'm glad I said that right. So without further ado, let's get into this crazy shit. So. Yep. Yep. The murders and murderers of the Cecil Hotel here. Correct. One of several noteworthy guests of the hotel was Elizabeth Short, who you all may know as the Black Dahlia after her 1947 murder in Los Angeles. We talked a little Touched bit about on the, that with the, uh, the torso murder. Torso murders yep. and how there may be a correlation there or Correct. whatever that no one will ever fucking know about, but it's possible. She reportedly stated that at the, uh, the hotel before her mutilation, which uh, still remains unsolved, like we said, what connection her death may have had to the Cecil is not known, but what is known is that she was found on a street not far away on the morning of January 15th. Coming up on that, huh? Yeah, wow. That's crazy. That is kind of fucking nuts. Um, with her mouth carved ear to ear and her body cut in two. Some people say that this, uh, uh, this sorry of short, what? The what? story? Would that be what Probably that's? Probably story. I don't know. I don't fucking know, dude. <laughs> but some people say the story of short staying um, at the, uh, at the hotel are untrue. Uh, but we'd like to think that there's a, some sort of a connection there. However, we cannot confirm or deny the validity of the claim. And there is uh, a lot of conflicting reports on this. There are some reports of, um, of short story again, story. Jesus Christ. <laughs> there were some reports of the story saying at a near, uh, no shorts staying at a nearby hotel and just do, um, going to the Cecil bar from time to time. Right. Right. So, so she just go and hang out there. So there was, there were reports that she had stayed there, which seemed to be pretty unconfirmed, but a lot of people are holding on to that theory. And then there's a lot of other things that say that leading up to the murder, either the night before or like a couple of nights here and there before she was seen at the, the bar at the Cecil. So it's, it seems like she was there in some capacity at some point shortly before her murder. She was staying, I guess she was staying, there is confirmed that she was staying in another hotel in the area around that time, but she had been seen in some capacity at, at the Cecil Hotel, at least like in the bar, like drinking like the night before or a couple of days before or something like that. Which is crazy too that if you, if, I mean, as they say, you know, the, the place was kind of known for the derelicts and the, oh, yeah. the the not great people next, you know, she's hanging out there and the next, you know, she's dead. 
Yeah. You know? Well, and the other thing is they talk about it in, uh, there's, we talk about a little bit of the ridiculousness of the area, uh, in a little bit. And the fact that the way the area was, even at that time, like it wasn't as bad, but the way the area was like, you could get away with a lot of crazy shit and no one even blink an eye oh, I'm sure. just because of the surroundings and everything like that. Yeah, it's probably one of those places where the cops just didn't even want to go go to. I, I'm pretty sure it actually says that at some point in here. <laughs> awesome. I think we talk about it, yeah. Well, next up, uh, confirmed and also unsolved murder at the Cecil Hotel, Georgina Pigeon Goldie Oswood, or Osgood. What a name. Georgina Pigeon Goldie Osgood. Damn, Goldie. Goldie. I like that. She went by Goldie. Apparently, everything I read called her Goldie. Okay. On June 4th, a 79-year-old retired telemarketer named Goldie Osgood was found in her hotel room dead. The autopsy showed that she was beaten, stabbed, and choked with a rag. Her hotel room was ransacked. Friends say that they uh, actually talked to her merely minutes before her death. She was known for feeding pigeons at a nearby park, and that's how she earned her nickname, Pigeon Goldie. She was staying at the Cecil Hotel, where she was very likely... And uh, well, she was very, very liked, sorry, and was a long that time. That was not my fault. No, that was me. That was me. <laughs> and a long time residence. Okay. So she was the pigeon lady. Yeah. Yeah. She would feed the birds outside. Everyone knew who she was. And she was the chick from Home Alone 2. <laughs> right? I guess. Right. Yeah. The scary lady with but, the pigeons. But in LA. <laughs> but in LA. Staying at a hotel. Outside of a creepy hotel. Right. Not much information can be found about her death, only that a man named Jacques B. Ellinger. What was his name? Jacques. It's Jacques! <laughs> do you know Jacques? I do not know him. Oh, okay. His last name is Ellinger. What's your last name? I cannot tell you. <laughs> he was arrested a few hours after her body was found, and he had been seen walking in the same area as Mrs. Osgood and, uh, while she was feeding pigeons. He was covered in blood, but was later released <laughs> due to lack of evidence. That's the shit I'm talking about. What the that's, fuck? That's only one example of the shit that I'm talking about with this. They found him wandering around covered in blood, Hours after they found this lady murdered in her hotel room, and they released him. Excuse me, Jacques. I have a couple of questions for you here. <laughs> I'm Officer, uh, you know, Dan Randley, and uh, I've noticed that you're, you're covered in blood and pigeon feathers. Um, yeah, no, that's right. Yeah. Is there a reason why? Uh, no, I, uh, I I fell on some pigeons earlier. Oh, okay, well, you have a great day, sir. Okay. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, yeah you take right. care. Cool. What the fuck? <laughs> Well, several serial killers have called the Cecil home as well. Here you go, folks. Chief among them, good old Richard Richard fucking Ramirez, the fucking Night Stalker. Now, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know who Richard Ramirez is, we honestly don't know why you're here. (laughs) But here's a refresher for all you people out there who don't know who the fucking Night Stalker was. He was, first and foremost, a Satanist and pretty much just a shitty fucking person. (laughs) <laughs> Even for a serial killer. Yeah, yeah truthfully. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like, you, you, there's a lot of bad... I mean, they're all bad dudes, but this guy, fuck. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he seemed to have a, uh, you know, no MO except to be a sadistic, you know, as sadistic as possible, and he was. He was a piece of shit. His victims, uh, women, men, children, were chosen randomly and killed in a variety of ways with whatever weapon was handy, often after a sexual assault. So he's just a fucking great guy. Yeah, like, it's crazy because you look at it, and he's one of the few big ones that really didn't have a signature. There was no, like, you couldn't be like, all right, well, these are all connected because they were strangled and tied with this knot, or they were strangled with this, or they were shot in this fashion. Or they were all dumped in a certain place. Yeah, were all exactly. This color, they exactly. were all that, yeah. He yeah. just picked whoever the fuck he wanted to and killed him however he could. He's a special kind of guy. Most reports suggested that he was influenced as a teenager by his cousin Mike, a Green Beret who uh, bragged of committing horrific acts in tell Vietnam. Your, tell your buddy. Hmm? 
there, buddy? No, no, thank God. I hope not. Is that why things went bad for him? <laughs> no, Jesus. Uh, but anyway, so he basically said that he did a bunch of horrible shit over there and who later shot his wife to death in front of Richard Ramirez. So that's not a good start. No. So the Night Stalker was ultimately caught after a rape victim who had been left alive got a look at his getaway car, a stolen Toyota that was found abandoned and connected to Ramirez by a single fingerprint. There you go, fucker. Look, if you're going to do something, don't leave anybody alive. That's all I'm saying. That's sloppy. <laughs> don't you future serial killers out there. Uh, that's a it's word just, of advice from Mr. Moody. Sloppy work, man. That's all I'm saying. I, I Let's talk about that for a second. <laughs> okay. Okay. So... <laughs> I'm a, I'm a huge true crime guy. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm very infatuated by the what makes serial killers do what they do, not sure. what they do. Please, let's not correlate the two. I am not infatuated that they kill people. I'm no, not like, I'm, I'm with you. On that. I don't glamorize any of that. These guys are all fucking, and, and ladies, they're all pieces of shit. Every single one of them, they all fucking have some, fuck them, fuck them, fuck them all. However, what makes them do that, just, I'm it's just, fascinating. I'm so fascinated by it. However... <laughs> They make the dumbest fucking mistakes. Yeah, who, who was it? Uh, the Ted Bundy it was like you do the same thing so many times, and then one day you forget where you hid the the tire tire iron or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like you forget where you put the tire iron, and yeah. then it's done. Just doing it over and over yep. again. And Bundy, man, what a fucking that fucking guy. Anyway, I just think it's hilarious that they're like, you know, this like Richard Ramirez, single fingerprint. Yeah, <laughs> you know one I mean? fucking fingerprint. one fingerprint. What? Wear fucking gloves, you dumbass. You know what I mean? They'll wipe it down or something. Right. Once they had a suspect, police broadcast his name and face widely, and Ramirez was recognized and <laughs> beaten by a mob fucking amazing. in Los Angeles. <laughs> in East LA. Yeah, dude. Yeah. So they, they heard about the guy, found him, and whooped his ass. You know what happened, too, right? He's, like, just walking down the street, just, <laughs> just got some food or something, and someone's like, that's that fucking guy. That looks like That's him. That guy. And then everyone was like, get him. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, mob mentality. I'm sorry. Sometimes it's justified. Surprised he fucking lived through yeah, that shit. So, I'm so, you know what? It probably would have cost us a lot less money if yeah, as a, well, them, us, yeah. as a people, as the populace. <laughs> well, he was uh, convicted in 18 or 1989 of 13 counts of murder, five counts of attempted murder, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. And yes, sentenced to death. To which he said, quote, no big deal. Death always comes with the territory. I'll see you in Disneyland. <laughs> that is his actual fucking quote. I'll see you in Disneyland. That's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Now, remember, this is also the guy that had a pentagram that was uh, uh, palm was etched hand. into his actual palm. Yeah. Yeah. He's just a, he was a swell guy. Ramirez spent the next 23 years on death row at San Quentin, but died of lymphoma in 2013 at uh, 53 years of age. I still think that uh, they should have let the mob just have at him. <laughs> I, I honestly, I know we can't do it as people, as a society. Oh, yeah. You got to no, have absolutely. regulations absolutely. and cruel and unusual punishment and yada, yada. But sometimes. But you, know, you know, if that would have happened, everyone would have been like, all right, break it up. Let's get him out of here. Yeah. Okay. But like, you know, sometimes. The only problem with that is, the only problem with that situation is, what if it wasn't, Richard? <laughs> <laughs> Mistaken identity. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> There's a lot of people that look a lot like other people. Okay, I'm saying more so like, uh, you know, if 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 a a guy is in you know in court and he gets uh, um, indicted, and they're like, you sir, you know, you're you're going to prison, or how about this? The father of the victim over there is going to take that sledgehammer <laughs> and take you in the back room <laughs> and just kind of fix it all for all of us. Hey, man. But in that 
context, I think a lot of people say and they claim that they could do something like that. Like, yeah, I could go yeah, and avenge be, it. You know how hard that is to And do, to man. live through that afterwards. So all you people out there are like, yeah, I'd fucking kill that motherfucker if they hurt whatever. It's probably not going to make you feel any better. It's not going to make you feel any better. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It might. Some of you are twisted just like I am, so it's very possible. Yeah. So uh, the Cecil... Making another serial killer out of it. Who knows? <laughs> That's the problem. The Cecil and the Alexandria and the Twin Rosslyn ho- uh, Hotels just became these giant coral reefs of the worst people in the world, says Richard Shave, who runs e- uh, Esoturic. <laughs> I like. I get that. Esoturic. Esoturic. I, I know. It. I like that. Bus tours with his partner, Kim Cooper, and makes the Cecil a featured stop on the Hotel Horrors and Main Street Vice Package. Quote, by 1990, the LAPD won't go into these places. There you go. And uh, it was like, if we're called, we'll go in, but we're not patrolling. So in other words, the cops they don't just said, fuck there. it, dude. They yeah. were like, we're not even dealing with that shit. Yeah. I mean, it makes all the sense. Mm-hmm. So that's how a guy like the Nost- Night Stalker. Night Stalker. <laughs> that the Night Stalker. That's a, how a guy like the Night Stalker could operate there, you know, because obviously there's, you don't got to worry about the cops. Nope. So Ramirez would return to the Cecil after killing, after a killing, and ditch his blood so close in the dumpsters out back, then walk into the hotel either naked <laughs> or maybe in his underwear. No one gave a fuck. None of which raised an eyebrow. <laughs> Since the 1980s, as Shave put it, was total a total uh, unmitigated chaos there. So in other words, no one even batted a fucking no, eye. No one even. He, he walked to the hotel just butt naked. Was like, all right, I'm gonna go into my room, and everyone's like, okay, Mr. Ramirez, have a nice night. <laughs> they didn't even look up, <laughs> sitting there reading a book at the front desk. Okay, Mr. Ramirez, and the guy just walks by, blood all over him, everything else. <laughs> yeah, that Richard dude came in naked again. Yeah. <laughs> how he keeps losing his clothes talking to his buddies again he's got a set of clothes behind the thing for him for every here night you go. yeah here you go bud well, obviously of course the dumpster and bag probably contained far worse things and it wouldn't have been weird to see a half naked man wandering around a hotel renowned for the vice and where the police rarely ventured drug dealers worked openly inside and the bodies of overdosed residents could linger in the hall for days Ugh. Yeah. Quote, no one wanted to be the person who called the cops, Shave said. Want to be the snitch? It's fucking... You don't want to be the guy that brings the cops in there when there's all that shit going down. They found out, dude, you'll be the next body in the hallway. So let's let's just put something out there for everybody. The next time you go to work and you're like, man, fuck my job. Or the next time you're like, man, fuck this. Or, oh, these people in traffic. Or, oh, I don't have quite that much money to pay for this thing that I really, really want. You're not living in a fucking hotel where people <laughs> are just dying in the OD hallways. and just being left in there for days. And where serial killers are Live. walking in naked yeah. after murdering somebody. Yeah. Just cherish the things you have. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> Put it in context, Put folks. A little, bit of, yeah. a little bit of perspective. Yeah, that's it. Another serial killer was known to live at the Cecil. In 1991, six years after Ramirez was caught and sentenced to death, a 41-year-old Austrian journalist named Jack Unterweger. I was not familiar with this guy. The name sound sounded familiar to me, but I'm like, I don't know. Like, and I started reading a little bit about him. I was like, I don't know much about this guy. Yeah, I don't, I don't, that name doesn't ring a bell to me. So Jack Unterweger checked into the Cecil while he worked on a story about crime in L.A. for an Austrian magazine. Unterweger used his reporting work to secure ride-alongs with LAPD vice cops, and those trips were revealed as scouting missions when it was later discovered that Unterweger was also a serial killer (laughs) with a penchant for strangling prostitutes. It is suspected but never proven that he chose the Cecil because of its connection to Ramirez. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. Also very fucking smart. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. So we're talking earlier about these idiots that fucking do dumb shit or whatever. This guy was actually posing as a journalist. 
I think he really was a journalist. Okay, so he was using like, that. I think he was a legit journalist. And, and using he was his using credentials. That to do, yeah. yeah. Using his credentials to go and fucking scout places yeah. out. Fucking what? <laughs> I've never heard of this guy. So when Austrian police connected the strangulation deaths of three L.A. sex workers with a series of six unsolved murders back home, all of those prostitutes who'd been sexually assaulted and strangled with their own bras using a distinct ligature. See, that's what we were talking about earlier. He's got his M.O. He's got an M.O. that right. they could find and trace. So maybe Ramirez was actually the smart one. Yeah, well, he stole with the fucking fingerprint. Well, yeah, well, that's stupid. Man. Yeah. So Unterweger <laughs> fled and was arrested in Miami in uh, February of 1992. Unterweger, it turns out, had started abusing prostitutes in his youth, and at age 24, he was convicted of strangling an 18-year-old German woman with her own bra and sentenced to life <laughs> in prison. How the fuck did he get out if he was sentenced? Okay. Read on. All right. Behind bars, Unterweger had been a model inmate, publishing poems, plays, and an autobiography that became a movie, and his popularity made him <laughs> it made him cause a celebre in the European arts community, which began to lobby passionately for his release. I do know this guy. Do you? Yes. I do know this okay. guy. He, he, uh, hold on. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll keep reading. I'll, I'll keep reading. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I keep reading. No. I keep reading. In 1990, after serving 15 years, Hunter Vega was granted parole and almost overnight became a popular TV host and journalist. Within a year, he was in California killing women again. In June 1994, an Austrian court convicted Unterweger of 11 murders and sentenced him to life with no chance of parole. That night, he killed himself in his cell with a poetic twist. Quote, he tied the ligature, Shave said, the signature ligature by which he killed all the prostitutes in Los Angeles and Vienna. That was his confession, end quote. Fucking hey, I do know this guy. And okay. Go, go a little bit further into it. So, like, he was uh, extremely intelligent. A lot of them are, yeah. And like, it like extremely. So, what he was doing while he was in there in prison, he did a, he pulled a, um, um, oh, what the hell's his name? I'm trying to think of the, 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 the big guy with the, the little creepy mustache and the glasses, the huge freaking dude. Oh my God. Why can't I think of his name? I'm pulling a brain fart right now. But anyway, a lot of these guys, they'll <laughs> big be a guy with the creepy mustache and yeah, the glasses. I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it. Everyone right now is listening to this and they're yelling at it. It's, it's this guy. <laughs> they're totally, they're totally, I wish I could hear you. I swear I do. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so these guys, a lot of these guys, the the ones with a high IQ, they'll go into prison after being arrested and they will learn what to do to get out, to get out. Yeah. Just so or they like can figure out a way to make. Yeah. They manipulate everything and everybody yeah. around it. But that's what narcissism is about. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely. what they do. You know what I mean? Mm. Damn it. Why can't I think of his fucking name? I'll get it. I'll get it. And we'll come back to that. <laughs> anyway. Fuck. I'm so mad. That another I... serial killer. Yeah. Big guy with glasses. Big guy, like seventies. Um, oh, I think. I, um, yeah, yeah, me. Fuck. He 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 killed a uh, um I know a couple of girls know, in uh, like a university. He killed his mother. Who's the dude? Yeah, absolutely. A fucking um. Ed Ed Edmund Kemper. Kemper. Bam. <laughs> he's a big fuck. Yeah, he's a big oafish dude. He's like six foot eight. Yeah. But he's like, the one that Kemper was the one that was in with the cops too, right? He would go to the the cop bar all the time. Yeah, he would hang out, with, hang the out with the cops. That's what I'm saying. He knew how to like yeah. distance himself from what possibly would be there. So that's kind of the same thing with this guy. So he was like, he basically over in Austria became a celebrity because so he could get out of prison only because he was so smart that he was writing all these beautiful like works of art and doing, poem yeah, and poetry. On so the elitists there would be like, oh my how god, could this guy be in prison? He should not be locked up. This is bullshit. I don't know. That's not an Austrian accent. I apologize. You think Arnold? Uh, you think Arnold's? Arnold was like, I don't know why he's there. He was in California. You think they were friends? It might, maybe. That'd be hilarious. Arnold. <laughs> he's not my friend, I swear. <laughs> so, 
Those are murders and murders connected and possibly connected to the Cecil. But the tragedy doesn't end there. There are many other crazy deaths from the Cecil, mostly all suicides. During the Great Depression, tens of thousands of Americans took their own lives during the late 1930s, creating the highest recorded level ever, more than 150 uh, per 1 million annually in 1937 and 1938. And in the 30s, the Cecil had its share of suicides. That's, a That's an incredible number. That 150 is... out of every 1 million people. Oh, boy. In a year. <clears throat> so, you know, multiply that to how many million, how many millions of people there were in the country at that point. That's fucking insane. Don't kill yourselves, folks. It's just how, just don't do it. It's it's It will get better. What do they, they say? It's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Yeah. Right. Also, really quickly before we get into this, mm-hmm. there is one case in here that, like, it's so cartoonish, and I hate to laugh at it because it's pretty sad. But you'll know it when you get to it. But it's you. It's no, it's not me. But it's like, it's almost like it was it. Like when I first read about the the uh, uh, the incident, I was like, that that can't be what happened. There's no fucking way that's what happened. All right, is it coming up here? It's like one of the first. It's, okay. it's one of the couple. It'll, it's in here. Yeah, you'll you, you'll know it when you hear it. All right. It's just like fucking ridiculous. You <laughs> picture it like in a shitty movie or something. <laughs> You're laughing about a suicide. Ah, uh, it's, it's stop you'll, it. You'll see what I'm talking about. So, in 1931, a guest W. K. Norton, 46, was found dead in his room after eating poison capsules. A week prior, he had checked into the Cecil under the name uh, James Willies from Chicago. This seems to be the earliest case of suicide at the Cecil. The following year, 25-year-old Benjamin Dodick was found by a maid in a room dead by a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. In 1934, former Army Medical Corps Sergeant Louis, uh, Louis D. Borden was found with his throat slashed. He had written several notes about suicide while in the room, including one that cited poor health as a reason for the suicide. That's a fucked up way to do that too. yeah so like, that's fucked the other thing about these early ones is like i looked into a lot of them and there's not much on them just because there wasn't that much coverage right well then in this area they probably didn't give two shits about yeah. them either well you know at I mean? this point in 34 like even like through the 30s it wasn't it still wasn't terrible like they still got some pretty good like clientele like everything was it was like towards the end of the 30s into the 40s when shit really started going downhill for the hotel okay So in 1937, the body of Grace E. Magro was discovered wrapped in the telephone wires around the hotel. She later died at the now-demolished Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. Police were unable to determine whether Magro's death was the result of an accident or suicide. A year later, the body of 35-year-old U.S. Marine Roy Thompson was found on the skylight of a nearby building after he had also jumped from his room. He had been staying at the hotel for several weeks. In 1939, Navy officer Erwin C. Neblett was found dead after ingesting poison. He was only 39 years old. So Damn. Out of all those, just dropping it. three or four of them were military, too? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Oh, my God. So moving past the 30s, we find a little bit more craziness and a whole lot more fuckery. In January 1940, teacher Dorothy Skagger, 45, ingested poison while staying at the Cecil uh, and was reported by the Los Angeles Times to be near death. No further reports were published about her condition. In 1944, one of the youngest victims at Cecil Hotel had their life taken from them. Dorothy Jean Purcell, 19 years old, was staying as a guest at the hotel when she threw her newborn son from a window. What the fuck? Yeah, it's it's this is a fucked up one. This isn't the one I was talking about. Thank God. This, this is not the one I was talking about. Oh my God. That's fucked. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, Oh my dude. God. Purcell did not know she was pregnant and woke in the middle of the night with stomach pains when she was sleeping next to her partner, 38-year-old shoe salesman Ben Levine. 
Not wanting to wake Levine, she went to the bathroom and delivered the baby herself. How? I, okay, look, I don't pretend to know anything about what a woman goes through when she has a baby. Oh, yeah. But how that. the fuck? I know this. How the fuck do you go through that and not wake up somebody in the same goddamn hotel room as you when you're trying to have a kid? Dude, I, I don't know. People are strong, you know? Like, I guess it just it depends on the end. It blows my mind that yeah. someone could could pull that off without waking somebody up that's literally 10 feet away from them. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. Ugh. Purcell believed the boy was dead, and that's when she got rid of the body from a great height. The lifeless baby was found on a roof adjacent to the building. Purcell was arrested, but after psychologists determined she was mentally confused, she was eventually found not guilty by reason of insanity. Jesus. Can you, can you imagine being... <laughs> Being the guy that found that, it's like, Man, I got to do some maintenance on the roof today. Oh, <laughs> oh what the fuck, dude? That I, I, I don't, I couldn't even. <laughs> Moving on, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> fuck that one. In November 1947, Robert Smith, not the guy from the Cure, um, 35, Can died I... after jumping from one of Cecil's uh, seventh floor windows. Can I just throw out a very unpopular opinion here? You I fucking the despise cure. the cure. Yeah, I kind of figured. You don't, look, you don't, don't look like the kind of guy that listens get, to the cure. I just don't get it. You don't look like the kind of guy that listens to that. I don't mind him. I know. All I just, right. Like, I don't know. Like, I just, I can't, can't do it. I'm indifferent, you know, but if I hear like, <sighs> it's Monday, I'm in Fuck love. that song. That Ta-da-da. song is terrible. When I hear it, I'm like, I hate that song. It's a little ditty. Mm. Not oh. a ditty. <laughs> shitty. It's a little shitty. <laughs> On October 22nd, 1954, San Francisco stationery firm employee Helen Gurney, 55, jumped from the window of her seventh floor room and landed on top of Cecil's marquee. One week prior, she had registered at the hotel name under Margaret Brown. People are landing in some shitty spots. Yeah, that sucks. On February 11th, 1962, Julia Frances Moore, 50, jumped from the window of her eighth floor room and uh, found the newspaper clipping here announcing her death. Yeah, and it actually reads found the newspaper clipping. It was pretty awesome. Awesome. So this is the actual newspaper clipping. Quote, a woman leaped to her death from an eighth floor window of the Cecil Hotel, 640 South Main Street, early Sunday morning, her body landing on a second floor roof in the light well of the building. Police identified her uh, f- uh, from a hotel registration card and papers in her purse as Julia Francis Moore, about 50. Detective Sergeant Paul LePage said the woman who left no notes had registered at the hotel on Wednesday. Her purse and a small overnight bag were found in the room. Although the purse contained only 59 cents, a bank book showed she had nearly uh, $1,800, which is around $15,000 today, in a Springfield bank. Sergeant LePage said he also found a bus ticket stub indicating she had come here from St. Louis. Other papers, uh, other let's see, other papers containing two home addresses in, uh, in St. Louis were also found. The officer said he would... Uh, contact St. Louis police in an effort to locate the woman's relatives, end quote. That's kind of fucking great. So yeah. she's got like 15 grand sitting there. She was heartbroken. It had to be something like, yeah. I don't, unless, because when was that? What was the year on that? That was the 60s, I thought, right? Uh, it 62. Is. Yeah, 62. Okay. So that's, yeah. I mean, that's well past the depression. That's well past all that stuff. It wasn't really much. I mean, there's a lot of shit going on in the 60s, but. That's heartbreak. Like, she was from, from St. Louis in L.A., she had fifteen grand, which at the time is a lot of fucking money. Okay, well, so let's put our brains to work here. You could She's almost from buy Saint a house Louis. for fifteen grand in the sixties, couldn't you? Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, yeah, you buy a car 15. for like yeah. two grand, three grand. So let's think about this real fast. She came from St. Louis. She's in L.A. She's probably depressed. She had a decent amount of money on her. Do you think she was possibly like maybe an actress that was fa- like failing kind of thing? 
Because I mean, at that time, people were flocking out there. But she's only she had only been there for a couple of weeks. I think it said right. She had oh, only been there. Yeah, for, I don't know. I don't remember what it said. Like, uh, sounds like heartbreak. That's what it sounds like. But then again, be. I don't know. Could I mean, man. you're all the way out in St. Louis. Maybe she moved. Maybe she went out there to meet somebody that totally just fucked her over. She was 50. Maybe the husband rolled out, and she was like, "I got to figure something out." And yeah. So also in 1962, October to be exact, another strange death occurred. On October 12th, two bodies were found dead on the sidewalk in front of the hotel. One of the bodies was that of Pauline Otten. She was staying on the ninth floor of the hotel. She was 27 years old and had just had an argument with her estranged husband, Dewey. The other body Dewey. was not that of Dewey. It was the body of 65-year-old George uh, Giannini. Initially, police suspected the pair jumped together. After some investigation, however, found that old George had his uh, shoe or his hands had his hands, hands in his pockets. It literally says had his haha in his <laughs> pockets. That's that's what it says. <laughs> Sorry. Found that George had his shoes in, in or his hands in his pockets, and his shoes were still on. They said if he had jumped, his shoes would have fallen off during the fall or when he landed. Also, who jumps with their hands in their pockets? That does seem really fucking weird. Alanis Morissette. <laughs> At least one hand, right? <laughs> well, it turns out that after her argument, Pauline decided it wasn't worth living anymore and jumped from the window of her room on the ninth floor. George, however, was just walking by the hotel about to have the worst and last day of his life. Pauline jumped and landed on George <laughs> as he strolled by, killing him. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's not <laughs> funny, but it's like you no. picture that in like a cartoon or a fucking bad comedy movie. Like, that's <laughs> moody. That's how you're going to go. <laughs> that is how I would die. That's exactly how I would die. You're just going to be walking. Out. It's probably going to be after something awesome happening to you. Yeah. You're gonna be like, I'm going to yeah. win the fucking lottery. Yeah, I'm going to be walking down the street and someone's going to jump out of a building and land on me. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we're not laughing at the people who died. It's just a fucked up way to go. It's, that is it's fucked. It's like, it's, you hear that and you're like, no way. Yeah. No way. There's no fucking way. No way. Yeah. No, it is. It happened. <laughs> she fucking landed on him. That is fucking insane. And he still had his hands in his pockets. <laughs> He's just, <laughs> just done. Said he died instantly. Oh, she my just fucking God. Right on top of him. Probably broke his fucking neck or yeah, something. Yeah, I would imagine. Oh, I think man. she was aiming for him. Like she saw him and was just like, Whoa. well, no, she jumped from what floor? I don't know. Ninth. She was staying on the ninth floor. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way she aimed. <laughs> there's no way. She, she timed it. She saw him come. She's like, oh, this motherfucker. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'm taking somebody with me. <laughs> on December 20th, 1975, a still unidentified woman, approximately 23 years old, jumped from her 12th floor window onto the Cecil's second floor roof. She had registered at the hotel on December 16th under the name Allison Lowell and was staying in room 327. Unidentified. That's crazy that nobody. You would think that at some point, and this was in 1975. Like, yeah. You, you think that like somehow they, like nobody reported this person missing. She's 23, so it's one of those you know adults can leave and do whatever the fuck they want things. But like you think her family, you know what I mean? Like nobody now is unless it, she didn't have any family and didn't have anyone to. Is it possible I mean? she was unidentified because she jumped what ten floors and just the way she was. When she hit, well, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's part you of know it. What I mean, like, but like nobody reported anybody missing that met like my 23 year old daughter's missing and blah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, it's so weird to me that people can remain that off the grid anonymous and like, and especially that she actually went in under a pseudonym or a possible real name and they just never never oh, correlated. I her. assume that they checked out 
all the Allison Lowell's around. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Hey, are you missing an Allison? Yeah, you would hope so. <laughs> let's let's hope they did that. Yeah, it's just I, whenever I see that from like like back in the twenties and thirties, like okay, a lot of drifters, a lot of people get lost in the shuffle with just everything that was going on. But like in the seventies, yeah, you'd think it'd be like a it's bit so more. weird to yeah. me that they couldn't identify even to this day. Like they have no idea who it was. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. That is crazy. It's kind of scary, actually. It's super scary. You know? Yeah. Like, you could just be out someplace and just no one even fucking miss you. Or not even not, not even miss you. If if they <clears throat> if you have no identification on you whatsoever, and you're in a place that maybe you're not normally familiar with, yeah. or that people aren't familiar with you, yeah. you could be just another John Doe. Yeah. I mean, I guess in the 70s, it's not like it is today. It's not like there's no internet. You can't just put it up like, hey, does anybody know who this person is? Is anybody looking for somebody? And that shit gets around like that. But again, what I was saying is, if, if when and when she fell, if she was like completely disfigured, then you're not. No, gonna, no, I know. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to be but able still, to post a picture. But still, of her. like today, it could be like, hey, look, we found this girl. She's 23 years old. Distinguishing tattoos or got something, this, or yeah. and it, put it online, and that shit goes around, like literally around the fucking world in a day. And right, anybody who's missing a daughter who's 23 that hasn't heard from her in a while can be like. It could be her. Is there anything else you, you know? Right. Then they can kind of work on it from there. Yeah, it should be. Which is why the next now. one is even more confusing to me. Oh, boy. Well, on September 1st, 1992, a man was found deceased in the alley behind the Cecil. Authorities believe that uh, the decedent either fell from, uh, fell from, jumped from, or was pushed from the hotel's 15th floor. At the time of his death, the decedent was 5 feet, 9 inches tall, and weighed around 185 pounds. He was wearing blue sweatpants and a black sweatshirt over a gray T-shirt. The Los Angeles County Coroner's Office placed the decedent's age at 20 to 30, uh, 20 to 32 years. The decedent's true identity has never been established. This is 1992. That was 92. Another one. Jesus. It's like, that. that's what I'm talking about. Like you were saying, like tattoos or just anything like... Something. And I mean, I guess though, if they're homeless and no one gives a fuck about them or they don't have any family, it's one thing, but... Yeah, that's crazy. It's just that stuff bothers me for some reason. They can't figure out who the yeah, fuck it was. Yeah, it seems like poor, like like fingerprints. This dude's fingerprints weren't in the fucking system anywhere. But then again, in LA, there's so much crime there that that somebody possibly committing suicide is probably one of the last things. It's probably going in the file over here of yeah. if we get to it, we get to it kind of thing. If somebody calls us, tell them that they got somebody missing that might fit this description, right? Into if it nobody kind of says anything, we're not going to say anything, kind of thing, you know. Well, on June 13, 2015, the body of a 28-year-old man was found outside the hotel. Some conjectured he may have committed suicide by jumping from the hotel, although a spokesperson for the county coroner informed the Los Angeles Times that the cause of death had not been determined. So those are a shit ton of suicides from yeah. the hotel. All suicides, one baby, and a guy that got jumped on. <laughs> Holy bad play, or wrong place, wrong time, <laughs> dude. So oh my God, that poor guy. Jesus. So now in between those last two right there that we just talked about, there was another incident. And this incident is probably the most well-known of all of these. Uh, thanks to the internet, the incident spread fast, and there are tons of discussion and speculation about what really happened. The official cause of death was listed as accidental drowning, although most people don't actually buy that. If you haven't figured it out already, we are talking about the death of Elisa Lamb. Uh, we could probably... I believe it's pronounced Eliza. Eliza? Yeah. All right, so it'd be a Z then? I thought that too, but because uh, when I started typing this out, I I spelled it with a Z because I've always heard it pronounced Eliza. Okay, but I guess it's I guess it's with an S. So Eliza Lamb, and we pretty much I, I, this is what made me the first time I ever heard of this hotel was because of this 
Yeah, this and this, this is the one that I was like, I had no idea this took place there. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, man. Until I started doing the research. It's, it's the first thing that popped up it's when I searched crazy. for the hotel. It's the first thing that popped up. I'm like, no shit. But without further ado, <laughs> let's talk about it. Let's. We could probably do an entire episode on this story, so we'll just give you the basics and maybe hit the story a little harder in a bonus for our Patreon, which would be awesome. On January 26, 2013, Eliza Lamb arrived in L.A., she had just come from uh, come by Amtrak train from San Diego and was headed to Santa Cruz as part of her solo trip around the West Coast. The trip was supposed to be a getaway from her studies at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, where she was originally from. Her family had been wary of her traveling by herself, but the young student was determined to go at it by herself, alone. As a compromise, Lamb made sure to check in with her parents every day of the trip to let them know that she was safe. Smart girl. That's why it struck her parents as unusual when they didn't hear from her on uh, January 31st, the day she was scheduled to check out of her uh, L.A. Uh, hotel, the Cecil, huh? My birthday. January 31st? Yeah. It's coming up. So also, just really quickly on that point, I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. Mm -hmm. A lot of bad shit happens on January 31st. Yeah, like your birth. <laughs> well, I'm mean, sure that didn't help anything. <laughs> it's just, it's just <laughs> furthers the legacy. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> So the Lambs eventually contacted the Los Angeles Police Department. The police searched the premises of the Cecil, but couldn't find her, okay? So she was supposed to check out on the 31st, and they didn't hear from her, right? right? Police soon re uh, released surveillance footage taken from the cameras at the Cecil Hotel on their website. This is where things took a turn into the truly fucking bizarre. Yeah, this is what this is what everybody knows, right. this, this video footage. And if you don't know, after we're done, you'll probably know, and if not, wait for the bonus. So the hotel video showed Eliza Lamb in one of its elevators on the date of her disappearance acting rather strangely. In the pixelated footage, Lamb can be seen stepping into the elevator and pushing all of the floor buttons. She steps in and out of the elevator, poking her head outside toward the hotel's hallway in between. She peers out of the elevator another few times before stepping out of the elevator entirely. So she's like, it looks like she's looking for someone or or trying to get from someone. Yeah, she's like looking out at something. Right. Like trying so to there, figure out there's what the something. Yeah. Yeah. So the last minutes of the video show Lamb standing by the left side of the door, moving her hands in random gestures. Nobody else was captured on the video except Lamb. On February 19th, two weeks after the video was published by authorities, maintenance worker Santiago Lopez found Eliza Lamb's dead body floating in one of the hotel water tanks. Lopez made the discovery after responding to complaints from hotel patrons about low water pressure and a weird taste coming from the tap water. Let's unpack that for a second. All these people, all those people drinking the water were drinking like body, dead, dead, dead body, body soup. Dead body water. I don't like it. Ugh. Rotted, rotted carcass water. Dead buddy water coming to Peabody's this Sunday. No, that's horrible. Sorry, so gross. According to a statement it's by the chief, name, yeah, yeah, dead body water is actually kind of. <laughs> According to a statement by the chief of the Los Angeles Fire Department, the tank in which Lamb's body was found had to be drained completely and then cut open from the side to remove her five foot four frame. Nobody knows how Lamb's corpse, floating lifelessly next to the same clothes she wore in the surveillance video, ended up in the hotel's water tank or who else might have been involved. Uh, hotel staff told authorities that Lamb was always seen by herself around the hotel premises. So wait a minute. She was she was nude when they found her? Yeah. That's crazy. So her clothes were on the outside of the... No, no, no. The clothes were in there with her, but she wasn't wearing them. Oh, okay. Yeah. At a nearby shop, eerily named the Last Bookstore, owner Katie Orphan was among the last to see Eliza Lamb alive. 
orphan remembered the college student buying books and music for her family back in Vancouver. Okay, so obviously she had future plans. Right, she was getting her stuff ready to go back. She was ready to go back home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When the autopsy results for Lamb's case came out, it only served to ignite more questions. The toxicology report confirmed that Lamb had consumed a number of medical drugs, likely to be medication for her bipolar disorder, but there were no indications of alcohol or illegal substances in her body. Soon after the toxicology report came out, amateur sleuths began poring over any information they could find in hopes of solving the mystery behind the death of Eliza Lamb. One person noted that she seemed to not be taking her medicine previous to her death. It was, so this was on Reddit. I looked at it a little bit and you can find it. Um, basically, they were like, they, they saw what kind of medication she was on for her bipolar or whatever. And going off of that information and what they found in her system, that person was able to say, look, if she was on this, she should have been taking this, this, this at these times. So basically, like, this would have been in her system, this would have been in her system, and, like, whatever. And they basically determined, they were able to figure out that she was, she had missed a couple of, like, doses, doses. that she was supposed to take. Yeah. And, like, everything was basically off on the timeline of what should have been in her system. Okay. So Which we, is kind of crazy that there's people out there that that's awesome. can figure that shit yeah. out, you know? Yeah. It is an important finding to note, given that the use of antidepressants to treat bipo uh, bipolar disorder can risk inducing manic side effects if done without caution. And uh, some sleuths have understandably latched onto this detail and suggested it was a likely explanation behind Lamb's strange behavior in the elevator, like Moody was saying. And that is very true. Yeah, absolutely. They say that um, if you're taking antidepressants or anything for bipolar, which I do, I, I take medication for it, that you have to... You got to really be careful and you've got to go by what the doctor says. Talk to your doctor if yeah. you're on something and you're thinking about getting off of it because it can you trigger. Can, you just can't just do it. It can take you way over to the other side. Even if you are, um, and some medication can actually do that too. Let's yeah. just say you're yeah. kind of, you're on the border and you, know, you just have you some more days. Depressed it can or, fuck yeah. you up, man. It can really fuck you up. So yeah, always yeah. talk to your, uh, your doctors, folks, if you have to. You know, if you're thinking that something doesn't work or you don't like the way it makes you feel or something like that, don't just stop yeah, fucking just taking stop. it. Hotel, hotel manager Amy Price's statements uh, in court strongly support this theory. During Lamb's stay at the Cecil Hotel, Price said that Lamb was originally booked in a hostile-style um, shared uh, shared room with others. However, complaints of odd behavior from Lamb's roommates forced Lamb to be moved to a private room by herself. So she's acting a little goofy up, even right. prior to this. Okay. Up to that point, yes. There was, there was incidents, apparently. So David and Yenna Lamb, I would assume this is her parents, filed a wrongful death suit against the Cecil Hotel several months after the daughter's death was uncovered. The Lamb's attorney stated that the hotel had a duty to, quote, inspect and seek out hazards in the hotel that presented an unreasonable risk of danger to Lamb and other hotel guests. Right. So, it's, I, I mean, it goes into a little bit more, but that's kind of a silly thing to me. If you... Just, she didn't fall down a, a slippery step or an open elevator shaft right. or something right, like that. Exactly. She was yeah. found in a fucking water tank. Right. The hotel fought back against the suit, filing a motion to dismiss it. The hotel's lawyer argued that the hotel had no reason to think that someone would be able to get into one of the water tanks. Based on court statements from the hotel's maintenance staff, the hotel's argument is not entirely far-fetched. Santiago Lopez, who was the first to find Lamb's body, described in detail how much effort he had to exert just to find her uh, to find her body. So, in other words, she didn't get in there easily. No, it's not an easy thing to do. Right. Especially, like, you'll read out a little bit, like, there was a lot of things that could have tipped people off. Lopez said that he took the elevator to the 15th floor of the hotel before walking up the staircase to the roof. 
Then he had to first turn off the rooftop alarm and climb up on, on the platform where the hotel's four water tanks were located. Okay, so let's let's take these piece by piece here. First and foremost, there was a, an alarm for the rooftop. Right, that he had to turn off to even open the door to get out to the roof. Which obviously was never It triggered. never tripped. Right. And then he had to climb up on the platform where the hotel's four water tanks were located. So you had to get through that first. And then he had to climb up there. Right. Finally, he had to climb another ladder to get to the top of the main tank. So no, so this was like a, uh, you're not just doing this on a whim. No. It, it's not like it's just on the side of a, you know, a, a, in a hallway somewhere. You know right. I mean? like you, you're just you, like, fuck it. You've literally you know, got a freaking, yeah. yeah okay. it's, a pro- it's a process. It's a process. Uh, only after all that did he notice something unusual. Quote, I noticed the hatch to the main water tank was open and looked inside and saw an Asian woman lying face up in the water approximately 12 inches from the top of the tank. Lopez said, as reported by LAist. LAist, I guess. I don't know if it's like a magazine or a website or something. LAist. So bougie. Lopez's testimony suggested that it would have been difficult for Lamb to make it to the top of the water tank on her own, at least not without anyone noticing. The hotel's chief engineer, Pedro Tavar, also made it clear that it would be difficult for anyone to access the rooftop where the hotel water tanks were located, again, without triggering the alarms. Only hotel employees would be able to deactivate the alarm properly. If it was triggered, the sound of the alarm would reach the front desk as well as the entire top two floors of the hotel. So somebody would have fucking heard it. Somebody would have heard it. Right. Yeah. Now, I don't know if this says this yet or not. I might be jumping the gun, but is it possible that somebody from the hotel was involved? I... I don't know. I mean, it's possible. All right, let's continue. We'll come back to that. Los Angeles Superior Court Judge Howard Haim, or Halm ruled that the death of Eliza was, uh, quote, unforeseeable because it had happened in an area that guests were not allowed to access, so the lawsuit was, in fact, dismissed. All the talk of the difficulty in even getting to the water tanks, especially the fact that no alarms were triggered, only fueled more conspiracies and speculation. We may never know what really happened, and it's another feather in the crazy, creepy-ass cap of the Cecil. Right. It's pretty fucked so, up. So what you were saying is, you know, I would assume that the police looked into that, given the fact the whole alarm thing, that somebody involved with the hotel was involved with this. I mean, so that's if you something think about that it, if we do a bonus, we can get into that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because if you think about it, like, what better place to hide a body than someplace where nobody goes to? Right. Although... You got to figure they're going to get found eventually because of the whole, you got the water taste, the low pressure. and Unless you're a disgruntled freaking hotel worker and you're trying to poison the people that are in that hotel. So why not take somebody in there, kill them, put them in there, you know? Or, Try to make people sick or, or what if somebody, get the place shut down or something. What if she was already dead when she was found? You know what I mean? What if she had somebody found her and was like, oh shit, I can't have this happen at our hotel. Or it could have been an accident. It could have been an act. It could have been somebody, and it could have been an accident, like, or a cover up because the hotel exactly. didn't want to get busted for it. Who knows, man? There's We're coming of, back to this one. This is bonus, this, dude. This bonus. This is a fucking. This is a rabbit hole uh, topic, and there's a lot of people that feel very strongly one way or the other. Yeah, and uh, it's definitely something to. Uh, it's definitely a good topic to just. You could sit down and discuss all the different things. Like, I don't know how true it is. I haven't gotten into it that much, but apparently it was locked from the outside or something like the way that the way it was latched. There's no way that she could have crawled in there by herself and then latched it or something like, like there's just all kinds of shit. Like well, it just that. makes no sense. I mean, number one is the, the alarm. 
Yeah, that's the biggest thing, yeah. is how did she get up there without tripping in the alarm? Right, unless it's, a, again, another cover-up from the hotel that the alarm maybe wasn't functioning, or maybe someone heard the alarm and just didn't pay attention to it. That's what I'm, like, you would have thought, though, that if it went off, that somebody on the top two floors would have been like, at least had come forward and been like, you know, the one day I did hear an alarm going off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fucking crazy. So... I don't know, man. Yeah. That's all the uh, that's all the suicides and murders, though. That is all the suicides. Okay, so. And there are some stories of hauntings, but they're very, there's a lot of. Intermittent? Well, there's a lot of people that talk about it. They say, yeah, it's haunted, it's haunted, but like, I couldn't really find any stories. But there's a little bit about it, and you can. Well, there are stories of cold spots and shadowy figures. A uh, new story went around a couple years ago of a ghost photograph showing a shadowy figure outside of a window of the Cecil Hotel. It's pretty awesome. Looking like it was about to jump. See if I can find it real quick. We're, we'll definitely we'll post, post that it up. too. Yeah, we'll post it up for everybody. There are stories of people saying that they see a woman who looks like Elizabeth Short, and that, of course, is the Black Dahlia. Yep. And feeling like they are being watched in the hotel. It's a creepy place, even though there are renovations and rebranding. The Cecil Hotel was renamed the Stay on Main, by the way. But, uh, well, it's hard to shake the store of, you know, stories of the Cecil. Also, early in 2021, the Discovery Channel is kicking off its streaming service with a new episode of everyone's favorite Ghost Adventures. <laughs> yeah, so when you guys go and you see Ghost Adventures and you're like, these guys fucking sucked. Just remember, we did it first. Oh, that's that is. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. fucking real creepy. He's it showing is. me the picture right now. We'll make sure we post this up that's for like you guys. That's an enhanced version of it. That's fucking wild. Yeah. We'll make sure we post that up. So make sure you guys are looking on our uh, all our social media to find that picture of the Cecil Hotel and the ghost looking like she's jumping out of a window. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty cool picture. Like, I mean, it could be anything, but like, you know, it could be reflections about whatever. But it's it's a it's a pretty cool picture. It's yeah, creepy. It's pretty wild. So the hotel and the Eliza Lamb footage was the inspiration for the hotel season of American Horror Story. It was also the inspiration behind the movie Barton Fink, starring John Goodman and John Turturro. You ever seen that one? I have not. Well, maybe. So basically, John Turturro plays. If you don't know who John Turturro is, he's, he's Jesus. He's the he's the Jesus. Yeah. Um. He uh. You pull a gun on me, stick it up in your ass, and. But what is it? Pull the trigger, pull until, the it trigger until it goes until it goes click. Jesus, man, you said it. Nobody fucks with the Jesus. Nobody fucks with the Jesus. Uh, but he plays a guy. I think he's like a writer, and he's staying in a hotel. And John Goodman basically plays like the devil. And like they have, it's basically the whole thing is like him at this hotel and John Goodman's, and they're going back and forth and so It's it's pretty good movie. I have to check it out movie. too. Yeah, it's solid. The hotel can also be seen in two popular music videos. You like this one. The streets have no name by U2, where the brand, uh, the, the band performs on the roof of a building next to the Cecil, and in Blink-182 video for The Rock Show. Sure you remember this one. <laughs> you remember the video? Um, I don't know, maybe. Well, okay. The band is shown throwing money off of a single-story building next to the Cecil, which may or not be the same building U2 played on. Do you remember? Do you remember that video at all? No, I don't. There's uh, that scene where they're just like chucking money off the top. There's like throwing money off the top of the building. You can see the Cecil in the background. Oh, that's awesome. And the same with the U2, like uh, during the video, there's spots where you can see. Because it's like, I tried to look at it. I think it's kind of like, it's not directly. I think it's like a little bit catty corner to it. You can see the hotel in the background. Yeah, we'll, we'll throw a bunch of those pictures up See if up we can find the so pictures of it. Yeah, yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the the Cecil Hotel in, in kind of a kind of a nutshell there. And yeah. I do think I want to do a bonus on the Eliza Lamb thing because that is a fucking crazy-ass story that doesn't seem to have any kind of... Nothing weird, makes sense man. about it. It's weird. I remember looking at that shit, like, when it first came out, like, when people started... When the footage started going around. Yeah. It's, it's weird, man. It's weird. Yeah, that is absolutely freaking crazy. And there's just a lot of, like... 
definitely could be, you know, you look at the bipolar thing and the, the medication and everything, and people do crazy shit when they're off their meds. Yeah, but that just seems there's really also a lot extensive. of weird shit around that as well. Yeah, it just seems so extensive that she would go to those links. Yeah. You know what I mean? To, I don't know, it just, it's fucking yeah. weird. And I've known about the story for a while. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen the, the, the video footage of her freaking freaking out mm-hmm. and walking through the hotel by in herself. And out, in and out of the elevator in looking and out. And yep, in and out of the elevator. The like, totally destroyed. My question is, why the fuck didn't the elevator go? She was in there for a minute after she hit those buttons and they didn't fucking... <laughs> the elevator's probably like, too many buttons. <laughs> Hold on. You fucked... You're confusing me. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. It's too many buttons. Press one and we'll figure it out. Let's, let's try this again. And now, boys and girls, it's your favorite part of the show. The movie review. Which top ten movies will make the cut today? So, Moody, guess what we're talking about? Well, judging by that little intro, I'm going to say, but what the fuck? <laughs> we're talking about the movies. <laughs> so we're going to do the top 10 movies that were based either in or about a hotel. Right. So this list is actually not from IMDb um, because I looked up IMDb and I did. I tried to find movies based off of like in hotels or whatever. And I found some really weird shit because I believe... Like when I searched the keyword hotel and horror movies, like some weird shit came up that I think literally just had like a scene or two, like in a hotel room. And I'm like, this is not a movie based on a, fo- like around a right, hotel. Exactly. Just cause like one scene. Yeah. Right. So I found this list on uh, it's ranker, which yeah. I'm sure most of you guys have seen stuff on there. And this is, a, this is a much better, like granted, this is more like a fan voted type thing, but this is a much better uh, representation of good horror movies yeah. that so were, were based on hotels. So we're going to talk about these. Uh, let's see. We're going to start. We'll just do top 10. Oh, yeah, yeah. wait, hold on. I got to do top 11. Top 11. Okay, only, let's, because, let's... only because number 11 is Puppet Master. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have to include The first that one. one, yeah. That's such a great movie. If you guys don't know about Puppet Master, it's literally about a, a bunch of puppets that are demonically possessed. Yep. And yep. it's just fantastic. He, uh, they're like, yeah, he like, he, he builds them all by hand and then he, they get he uses his voodoo magic type shit. So Ranker is really cool too. If you guys aren't familiar with it, where they literally just rank everything. Yeah. It's, it's just a complete so, so much. If you ever type in a search for a top ten list of anything, you'll one of the top three searches is going to be a Ranker, ranker list. for sure. So they're saying Puppet Master is number two fourteen of seven hundred and twenty of the best horror movies of all time. This is what Ranker does. Yeah, that's the other thing. It'll show you all the other lists it's on too. Right. It's number four of the best horror movies about puppets and dummies. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> and it's number 74 of the best horror movies of the 1980s. Of course. That's, that's a pretty good. It's a good list. Yeah. yeah. It's good company right there. Number 10 is The Innkeepers. Never seen that one. Yeah, I don't know which that one is. Let me see if I can pull that can one up pull here. It up? I can find it probably. Yeah, let me see. All right, here, I got it. You got it? I think. The Innkeepers. I've never heard of that one. Uh, the Innkeepers is a 2011 horror film written, directed, and edited by Ty West, starring Sarah Paxton, Pat Healy, and Kelly McGillis. Ooh, I see a picture. Kelly McGillis, that was the chick from Top Gun. Yeah, have you That's seen the- her lately? <laughs> no, but I can imagine it's not good. Oh, boy. She she hasn't aged well. We'll just put it that is way. Is that the chick from Top Gun? Kelly McGillis, Isn't yeah. she like the Tom Cruise's woman in Top Gun? Yeah, that's All Kelly right. McGillis, yeah. All right. So its plot follows two employees at the Yankee Peddler End <laughs> who, during its last weekend of operations, attempt to document the alleged supernatural activity in the building. Wow. Creepy. Ooh. Look at that picture. That actually looks pretty cool. 
So that's the innkeepers. That's number 10. Number nine. I haven't watched this yet. I'm looking forward to it because I absolutely loved the original. Uh-oh. Um, this is Dr. Sleep. Oh, yeah. That's the sequel to uh, The Shining. The Shining. The Shining. I have, I have not. The Shining. <laughs> the Shining. Do you want to get sued? <laughs> Every time it's ever said on the show, I, I have to do that. So I haven't, I haven't seen Dr. Sleep yet either. I, I've heard that people either hate it or they love it because it's not at all the same. It's basically the little boy from it's the Shining. It's him grown up. It's him grown up and him kind of dealing with the demons from yeah, that. Yeah, right, right. And it, it looks pretty cool. It's uh, number 139 of, uh, let's see, the best psychological thrillers of all time. Wow. And number 313 of the best movies based on books. But that's 313 okay. out of 364. <laughs> I feel like it. Not, not too no. good. But it's also Stephen King. So, yeah. you know, Stephen King's yeah. awesome. Number eight, The Witches. Ooh. Okay, so this one threw me. I was like, wait, that's the new one? But I, I guess the new one they just put out was a remake of this one. Yeah, this is uh, from 1990. Like oh, the, yeah, this is uh, Angelica Houston. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, so The Witches, a 1990 comedy fantasy film based on the book of the same name by Raoul Dahl. It was directed by Nicholas Roeg and produced by Jim Henson Productions for Lorimar Film Entertainment and Warner Brothers starring Angelica Houston as Miss Evangeline Ernst the grand high witch and this is where she turns the little kid into like a uh a fucking like what she turned him into like a ah it's either a mouse or a rat or something like that she I turns this little I've boy into that. yeah it's it's a cool movie. she turned me into a newt yeah it's it's, <laughs> I, it's I got fun. better <laughs> i got better so this is uh number 39 for the best halloween movies for kids oh yeah and number shit. 201 the best movies for kids in general oh wow all right that's pretty cool okay, okay. all right this next one is not this is uh, number seven <laughs> and it's hostile <laughs> would not recommend that's not this. on the kids movie list? i would not recommend okay. this for children hostile. i was gonna show my three-year-old but i guess he doesn't yeah. yeah this is the original uh eli roth 2005 Ugh. uh Fucked up. It's literally about a group of vacationers over in, uh, I forget what country it was, but they go to a hostel and they basically are tortured and fucking killed. You know, I could probably check in Slovakia, maybe. Just click on the button here. Yeah, dude, check on the, click, check. Check on the button. Uh, Let's see. They find themselves in a, it doesn't say it, just says they're traveling across Europe. It's motherfuckers. Motherfucker. Dude, this, uh, some of those scenes in that movie are just fucking brutal. The though. eyeball one. Where it's hanging out and yeah. Yeah, the, the Achilles where he yeah. slices the... Uh. Yeah. So basically, it's like a Saw movie in a hotel where they just torture... Right. They basically people. kidnap them. And then uh, the whole premise is rich people pay to torture and kill people. Right. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's number uh, 456 for the greatest epic movies ever made. What? Hostels on that list? Number two of the 23 uh, disturbing, brutal movies based on real-life atrocities. That's based on real-life atrocities? Well, I mean, people do. I'm sure it's extremely loosely based on something, right? Well, yeah, probably, as most of these are. And number three for the uh, 20 horrifying crime movies whose true stories are way more terrifying. Wait Dude, I gotta look what? that up now. Wait, or... I didn't know that was based on a true fucking story. All right, write that down. We gotta, we gotta research that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. We gotta, we gotta look at that one for sure. Um, and also, please let us know if you guys have seen these movies. Tell us what you think about them. Hostile. It's pretty fucked up. Um, number six is uh, Vacancy. Uh, this is uh, Kate Beckinsale, Luke Wilson, and Ethan Embry. Um, why do I not know this one? Vacancy? That's a good movie. Is it? Yeah. They like go, they get to a, like this hotel, and they find out that they're like... Uh... <clears throat> they're being spied on and there's like trap doors and hidden doors and stuff into the hotel room and shit like that. Yeah, it's pretty good. 
Well, they put Kate Beckinsale in it as opposed to the initial person, which was Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, so thank, God. thank you so much for doing that. Uh, first of all, Kate Beckinsale. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> second of all, Sarah Jessica Parker looks like her face is forming a foot. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, that's just she my is, personal she's opinion. She's a strange, strange looking yeah, girl. Whatever. And plus, fuck that hose in the city or whatever the fucking show is called. Sluts in the city. That's it. Yeah. So this was actually number 87 of uh, the best horror movie franchises. This was a franchise movie? Vacancy was? That's what it says. Oh, I don't know. I only saw the one. Okay, and it's number four of the uh, best horror movies about travel gone wrong. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Like, I didn't... I, I remember, like, going into it thinking it was just going to be like, oh, it's another one of these. But it's not too bad. It's not too bad. Dude, this is absolutely one of my favorite all-time movies. What, the next one? Yes. This okay. is number five. Let's hear it. What do you got? Identity. Okay. Amanda Pete, John Cusack, and Alfred Molina, along with a bunch of other people. Um, if you guys know, I, I think it's, is it Alfred Molina? I'm not super familiar with that movie. I, I believe I've seen it one time and I don't really remember it. So they're staying in, um, it's got Ray Liotta in it, um, uh, Re- Rebecca de Mornay. I think Alfred Molina, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong on this, is the guy with the crazy twitchy eyes, the heavy set guy. It's in all like the crazy movies where his eyes just twitch back and forth. Alfred Molina is fucking uh, Doc Ock, isn't it? From the oh, you know what? You're right. I'm yeah. wrong. You're wrong. I'm, I'm wrong. You're right. Yeah, I forget what the guy's name is. Anyway, it doesn't say it in here. Who are you talking about? Uh, he's uh, I don't, now I gotta find it. <laughs> Son of a bitch! I have to find this now. Hold on. Uh, why does it not have his name in here? You guys are all like, what the fuck are they doing? All right, uh, here it is. Hold on. Uh, what movies is he in? Well, as soon as I find it, I'll tell you. Well, how can you find it if you don't know? Because he was in that one. <laughs> he was in what one? Identity? Yeah. Oh. I'll well, just look for the cast of Identity. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> it's making for cast. Is it Brett Lore? Hold on. Let who? Me Brett Lore. I don't know who the fuck that is. Jesus. I have no idea what you're talking about. Hold on. There's got to be. Hold on. Sorry, folks. I have to figure this out. Brett. L-O-L-E-H-R. His eyes go everywhere? Yeah. Uh, Ray Liotta's in that movie? No, it's not this fucking. Who the fuck is this guy? No, it's not him. Talking about John Hawks? Larry? That dude? No. Okay. I don't know. I'm just trying to help here. John's Jake Busey's in it? Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, which is Gary Busey's kid, which is... Brett Lore's a kid. Yeah, it's not him. Scott. Hold on. I don't know. None of these guys look creepy with weird eyes to me. Damn it. Are you sure he's in this movie? Yeah. Okay, not to freaking completely... All right, anyways. He's actually the main guy. That's what I'm. I'm not. John Cusack is no, the main guy, it's isn't not, he? No, he was the. I mean, he's the main. <sighs> okay, I'm just gonna throw it out there. So the movie is based upon these people that go into a um, a motel. Correct. Okay, it's rainy. It's shitty. It fucking sucks. People start dying off left and right. Well, turns out the people that are dying are actually inside this guy's head that I'm talking about. They're his personalities that are fighting each other off, and they're fucking killing each other off. Okay. It's so a, so the a, whole thing is takes place inside someone's head? Basically, yes. And you don't find out to the fucking end of it. Sorry for ruining it for everyone. Uh, the movie came out in 2003. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, but dude, uh, why can't... Hold on a second. Let me see here. What? Convict named Malcolm Rivers awaits execution. Malcolm Rivers. That's his name. Why is he not on this list of the cast? He is on the list of the cast. Not on, on, on Wikipedia. Malcolm not. Rivers is 
Oh, Pruitt Taylor Vince. He's like ah, a, here it is. He's like a fat guy. Yes. Pruitt Taylor Vince. And if you see him, you'll know. All right. Yeah, I know who you're talking is. about. Boy, that was a fucking convoluted whole effort there. What the fuck? Did, <laughs> what do I remember him from? He's like all sweaty and shit. Anyway, I highly recommend the movie, even though I just told you the fucking plot. So, anyway. Oh, he was in Jacob's Ladder. Yeah. So go, go, go watch that one. <clears throat> all right. Number four. Moving on. Uh, oh, by the way, Identity is number 296 of the most rewatchable movies. Okay. And number 276 of the greatest guilty pleasure movies. Oh, he's a nope. Natural Born Killers? Yeah, dude, he's all over the place. And if you guys... I'm trying you... to think of what I know him from. Like, I see him in a part, and I can't think of what it is. Yeah, I mean, that's identities where I know him from. So, I All right, know. so number... Oh, oh, um, you know him from Constantine. He is? I see that, but that's not what I'm thinking oh, of. Oh, okay, yeah, because he's in Constantine. He's the guy that's helping out... Um, um, Keanu Reeves and yeah. gives him the he's like the reporter or whatever that tells him about what's going yeah. on when he yeah, steps yeah. up I'd have to think about which movie it is but I definitely like I can picture him in my head like number anyway. four right, go ahead. on this list sorry about that folks <laughs> longest top ten ever yeah 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 Jeff's probably listening to this right now going shut up <laughs> fuck him he's not here yeah right do whatever so, we want this one is piercing is a 2018 American horror com- horror comedy film directed by Nicholas uh, Nicholas Pesci, um, based on the is novel. Is he related to Joe Pesci? I don't know. Same spelling and everything. No, it's not. It's P P E S C I. Yeah, that's Joe Pesci. Is it? Oh, yeah. Maybe he's related. I don't know. What is his name? Nicholas Pe- Pesci. Nicholas Pesci. Yeah. A man kisses his wife and baby goodbye and seemingly heads away on business with a plan to check into a hotel, call an escort service, and kill an unsuspecting prostitute. Oh, P E S C E. Ah, okay. Different guy. So yeah, that's what this one's about. So the guy basically is just leaving and going to go kill a prostitute. He did the grudge. The, oh. two, the 2020, the new version of the grudge that came out. Nice. Um, here you go. Number three. What do we got? On our list. 1408. Dude, great movie. It's awesome. Absolutely Fucking, awesome. That's based on a Stephen King novel as well. Yep. Sam Jackson, John Cusack. Basically, the room is haunted, and the guy is writing a, a book about haunted places. Because he's a skeptic. He's he a doesn't skeptic. believe it. He goes there, and let's just say things. And they're trying to get him to not stay in that room, and he's like, I don't fucking believe it. And It's great. It's fucking great. In fact, it's downhill fast. <laughs> it's number 19 of the best and scariest psychological thrillers of all time, which is crazy. Of all time? Yeah. Wow. And number 13 of horror movies that originally had much darker endings. Okay, so I think I remember seeing the alternate ending, but I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. But I do remember hearing that. Like it's, and I think you can find the alternate ending, but I, I don't can't remember. remember. Yeah. I can't remember what it is. Number two, any guesses? See, we're at the top two now. Top two. I'm going to assume that The Shining is number one. Well, we'll find out when we get there. And then, so number, what else takes place in a hotel? It's Psycho. Ah, Psycho. All Psycho, right. Of course. <clears throat> Alfred right. Hitchcock, 1960. You know what I mean? Anthony Perkins. We're basically, if you don't know the story of Psycho. It's a great movie. The fuck are you classic, doing with your man. life? <laughs> fucking classic. So basically, you know, his his mommy's dead and he's basically acting like her and Him, killing people as they come to the hotel. And dresses like his mom. Yes. It's it's kind of a the shower scene. Come on, people. Reet, 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 yeah. reet. Yeah. Yeah. Number eight of the best movies with twist endings. And number one of the best movies of the 1960s. Whoa, really? Yeah, that's pretty big. Best movies of the sick, the whole fucking decade? Apparently. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah, so number one, as we, we already mentioned, of course, it's 
The Shining. I was going to say, it's something completely random. I'm be yeah. like, God damn it. <laughs> no, it's The Shining. For sure. Stanley Kubrick, 1980. Uh, Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall. Um, uh, if you haven't seen this one, then again. Dude, she makes that movie creepier. Just because she is a... <laughs> Without, being, without sounding like an asshole, she is a creepy looking person. Oh, yeah. Shelly Duvall, for sure. She was uh, uh, olive oil. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently, olive oil creepy. I mean, you can read the stories about The Shining, too. Apparently, this movie, like, ruined her life. Did it really? Because they treat, he, Stanley Kubrick treated her like oh, shit. Yeah, Jack he would, like, yell at her. And Jack Nicholson treated her like shit. Like, everybody was, they were, like, I guess, trying to get a good, like, whatever out he of her. He would, but, like, scream yep. at her and fucking yep. just totally, until she was, like, bawling and yep. everything else. Yeah, that's fucked up. And Kubrick. then, like, right after that, he'd make her shoot a scene. Yeah. Like, while she was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kubrick was such an asshole. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, number 36 of the movies that should never be remade. <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> yeah, please don't do that. They already did, though. I fucking hate those. They remade it as, like, a TV miniseries type thing it was like a two-parter a three-parter with the dude that. that used to be in the show wings <laughs> oh yeah he was like one of the main he was like the main like suave guy in yes. wings the show with the tv show that wings. was i loved the show wings who's the, the fucking uh the idiot guy in that movie he oh was like the God. mechanic he was uh sandman in spider-man 3 yeah and not not nelson what the hell was his name it's something show. like that though but he was just a complete dullard <laughs> so funny though hey, uh, duh. You just had that voice like that? Like, it doesn't matter. Anyway. You might be thinking of the Dauber from Coach. Maybe. (laughs) He was the big dumb. Same, same character. (laughs) All right, passengers. Listen, we hope you really enjoyed your ride with us on the Cecil Hotel. And we're not done with it yet. We're going to come back and we're going to do a little bit more. And we're going to research a little bit about uh, uh, Eliza Lamb here and see... uh, See exactly where it takes us. Because I feel like there's definitely got to be more to the story. Now, next week... Moody. Yeah. We're going to dive into the black-eyed children. Ooh. Yeah. So it's the legend of paranormal creatures that resemble children between ages 6 and 16 with pale skin and black eyes who are reportedly seen hitchhiking or are encountered on doorsteps of people's homes. Yeah. So I've done a little bit of looking already into this. Uh-huh. And it's it's kind of a weird thing because it's it's a fairly recent phenomenon. Which yeah. I didn't realize. Yeah, I didn't either. I really didn't know too much about it until other people, like some of our listeners and stuff had mentioned it, and and now I'm like, hmm. His name was Lowell, by the way. Lowell. Yes. <laughs> Samsonite. I was way off. <laughs> so, yeah, anyways. no, um, But, yeah, like I didn't realize it. Like uh, I had heard the stories. I've heard a little bit about them. But I was unaware that this is a, it's a fair. It's a phenomenon. Your house makes weird noises. Yeah, it's haunted. Um, it's not haunted. Somebody's flushing a toilet or taking a shower. Right yeah, it's haunted. My house is haunted. I don't believe that. Anyways, shit. Uh, um, side note to that: my daughter said she sees people, and they uh, tell her that things are coming, and then she has to shake her head and make them go away. You might want to make an appointment. So I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> house might be haunted. I'm just saying. Yeah. Or maybe it's like daughter, a new thing now. I don't know. Your daughter may need to see somebody. That's all. Yeah. You know. She is my daughter. So. Yeah, this is very true. Apple uh, tree, right? Yeah. So anyways, the black eyed children, it's, yeah. a, it's a recent thing. And it, it was kind of interesting to me that something like that could uh, like the stories that you hear. If, if anyone's familiar with it, you know what I'm talking about. But like the stories that you hear about them, like it's something that could just like kind of pop up in fairly recent times. Like yeah, I, in, I've never heard. And it doesn't go, you know, it doesn't seem to go back very far. No. 
yeah, well, we're going to dive into so it, it next be, week. It should be interesting. Yeah, it'll be it fun be to actually get into that one, too. So also make sure to stop over to our official website, themidnighttrainpodcast.com. At our website, you can buy some awesome merchandise and help us out by doing so. And uh, where our new line of Fecal Fighters <laughs> shit-eating robot t-shirts will be coming soon. You got them coming? Oh, yeah, they're Dude, coming. Dude, I'm getting one. I got to get one. The designs are a-flowing. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're just sketched out right now, so I got to get Dude, them we all. Gotta, you know what we got to do? Got to get them finalized. We got to build a prototype and take that stuff to fucking Shark Tank. I'm serious. <laughs> Shit-eating robots. Absolutely. We can make a... You got indoor ones, outdoor ones for the yard. 100%. Yeah. Fecal fighters, buddy. Fuck yeah, dude. Absolutely. <laughs> and listeners keep asking how they can keep the steam in our engines. Well, if you like what you hear from us, and damn, we hope you do, consider being a producer <laughs> of the, the show. Last two weeks, who knows? <laughs> consider being a producer of the show by heading over to the midnighttrainpodcast.com and clicking on the Patreon button or at patreon.com forward slash the Midnight Train Podcast. There, you know, for, for as little as five bucks a month, you can get all kinds of shit like a custom shirt, custom yep. poster, custom mm-hmm. sticker, bonus episodes right. like the Day the Music Died series, which we have one coming that I'm super should, excited about. Should we tell them what it's about just so we can make all the people that aren't Patreon members feel like they're missing out? No. All right. I want, first and foremost, <laughs> our Patreon subscribers, our producers are the most important people in the world. Fuck yeah, if you are. want to become one, it's super easy. It's it's five bucks a month and you get bonus episodes that are just amazing that you won't find anywhere else. And uh, you can also uh, do a dollar a month thing just to show it's a Right, I saw that we put that up. Yeah. Cool. You don't get the bonus episodes because that wouldn't be fair to the you know people. But it still shows it. that you love us. It shows that you actually care about us. And you're like, listen, here's a fucking dollar. I found this yeah. on my couch. Yeah. You know what I mean? Here's a buck. And that buck goes a long way to help us. It so, does. Everything you know, goes right back into the show. hundred percent. So no, I don't want people to know about it. I think they gotta stay tuned for the, right. the next episode. Because I just right. found out about it today. I did. I keep them from I love doing that to you. <laughs> and I'm fucking stoked. <laughs> I'm so stoked. So if you are a diehard midnight train fan and you want to help produce this motherfucker, or if you just feel really sorry for us. Patreon is for you. Dude, there's a lot of people to <laughs> feel sorry for us that aren't going to give us money. For those of you that would rather just leave a one-time donation, you can head on over to PayPal and use the email address, themidnighttrainpodcast at gmail.com. Also, you can easily like, subscribe, and please rate us on your favorite podcast platform. And most importantly, share the Midnight Train to everyone. Just let them know. Dude, I listen to these fucking idiots. They're kind of funny. It passes the time. Right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That works. Look, it, there's we know there's a lot of podcast choices out there. We yeah. appreciate that we're one of your choices. And I will say something, though. I go back and I, I you know, I genuinely, I put all these together. I produce the whole thing. I, right. I put them all up. I, I listen to every single one of them. Yeah. But I do listen to us on multiple, like, I listen to us all the time. And yeah, the reason sure. is, is because it is entertaining to me. Like, uh, the ones I listen to are usually, like, real dry. Yeah, very straightforward. There's a listen, couple that are funny. But there's yeah. a couple that are funny. A but lot I, of the true crime stuff you listen to, everyone is super serious. And it's and, all the same shit. We, we try to bring try you to bring some different, different stuff. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. There's yeah. not... We try to do topics that keep it interesting. Right, that not like, everyone we're not, else out there is We don't want to do fucking Ted Bundy. Yeah. And we don't want to do, like, Jeffrey Dahl. Like, we don't want to do that kind of stuff. Or we don't want to do even, like, the supernatural stuff. That you just see the same shit over and over again. We don't want to do that. Right. So we're trying to just kind of do things a little bit differently. Hopefully you guys appreciate that. But it does only take a couple of minutes. And, uh, you know, word of mouth is how we're going to, you know, get more passengers on this train and continue to bring you weekly episodes and bonus episodes. We cannot thank you guys enough for all your love and support. Man, we love you guys. Uh, you passengers really do keep it moving. And uh, so a big fucking midnight train shout out. Uh-oh. Before you do that. You you stopped the of, shout out. Speak, we never started the shout out. Technically. I just started it. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't get to a name yet, so we didn't start. Anyway, go ahead. Just real quickly, the whole, uh, you know, love and support thing, man. Like, if you guys are out there, we we have 
our normal crew that we see a lot of people talking. We have fun and we joke around online on Facebook and everything like that. But if you're out there and you're listening to this, please, please drop us a line. We want to hear from you. People that, like, we have our usuals. We know you're out there. We know. We love you. We see you. If you haven't said anything, just drop by. Drop by the Facebook or join the group or even on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. Just drop by and say hi. Say, look, I've never really posted anything here before, but I just want you to know we're listening. We just want to, we want to, want to see who's out there. Yeah. And not only, I mean, truthfully, if you guys, you can always find us, the Midnight Train podcast, anywhere on social media. Yeah. Twitter. Um, we're on Tumblr for fuck's sake. We're on Snapchat. <laughs> we're on TikTok. Tumblr, huh? Yeah. Tumblr. No, Tumblr is a. Is that where all the, uh, that's... the nudie pics of us go? Wait, no, Tumblr. Tumblr that's... Tumblr used to just be like a haven for porn. Oh, no, it's just where I, pictures are posted and talks about the show a little pictures. bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good pictures. Okay. Wait, do we have a TikTok? We do have a TikTok. Oh, Jesus. I Christ. haven't done much with it yet. <laughs> I honestly think I'm going to hand that over to Jeff. He would be the perfect I one for that. I think Jeff. For those of you guys that believe that Jeff should <laughs> just be putting out TikTok con- uh, content, uh, let us know that too. Yeah, I think it would be good. Yeah, but it's uh, all of the links for all this shit is always in our uh, show notes and stuff. Yeah. So whenever you guys click, I think on we're the episode, legitimately on every yeah every oh, yeah. format. Yeah. We're we're out there. We're definitely out there. So listen, a big fucking midnight train shout out to <gasps> Barbara, Craig, Lacey, Mikey, Ben, John, Nate. Tess, Heidi, Kaylin, Kevin, Samantha, Matt, Diana, Christopher, Jacqueline, Katie, Michaela, Ramsey, Tamar, Tommy Speakerbox, The Sister Skeleton. Please make sure you check out the Sisters Skeleton podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I, I know. I keep because now because now when I say it, I say Sister Skeleton. Yeah, you've been so saying it's wrong. Skeleton. You've been saying skeleton right. a lot. It's wrong on both ways. It's the sisters. <laughs> no wonder they don't have anyone <laughs> reaching out to them. They're sisters like, I can't find them anywhere. Skeleton. I don't know what they're talking about. It's S K E L T O N. Okay. Anyway, they're waiting for emails and shit. They're like, why isn't anyone talking to us? Because <laughs> of you. You guys should just go get sister skeleton and just, just, I don't know, just have, just it, have it linked to your shit. Yeah, just direct it over because I'm, I'm all not, forms of it. Yeah. Sisters skeleton. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Just because of John. Take John, pay for the domain. Right, there you go. Uh, Also to Riley, Diane, Alina, Stephanie, Julie, Laura, Cynthia, Kirsten, Dawn, Nicola, Caitlin, Chanel, Alex, Emily Ann, Son of Vasco, Alicia, Frandapai, Danny, Melissa, Grace, Stormy, Eva, Melissa, Wayne, Victoria, Hager, Sean, Chainsaw. I have no doubt. (laughs) I did that myself because Jeff's not here, so whatever. Jigsaw, Bill, Son, Colin, Todd, David, V, Juan, Belen, Ken and Brad, Voodoo Vodka. Stripper Kevin, Katie Brabenek, <laughs> Davey, our Mexican Vato. Hey, Davey! <laughs> Hola, Davey! And a very special thank you to our superhero fucking Patreon producers. Chad Flint, Cheryl Pierce, Chris McLeod, Justin Kowalczyk, Rob Webb from the Fun Box Podcast. Who, Please check them out. We've talked. I, we have a little thing on Facebook going on right now. We're still talking about we got to get together. We have to do it. We got to do a crossover. Yeah, we're just being lame and stupid. Yeah. Also to uh, producers Christina Skelton, Maria Gibbs, Jessica Barlame, Rick Resler, Courtney Bachelor, and Bill Birch. Woo! My dude. If you want your name to be mentioned on the show, please sign up as a member on our website. It's for you, there, That's for all you guys. That's for the Patreon. That's, that's it. That's right. <laughs> but you can sign up as a, you know, a member on our website. It's absolutely yep. free. We will mention your name on the show or become a Patreon producer. It'll be your full name and you will get our deepest fucking gratitude. Absolutely. You, know, you guys are awesome. Because you guys are fucking great. So, yeah, that is your episode for this week. Episode number 83. It was a little little on the short side, but I still think it was fun. Yeah. It was. It was it's crazy. We learned a little bit and we're going to learn some more because we're going to we're going to dive further into, into yeah. this. We have yeah, to. Yeah. 
We're going to die for <laughs> be a good bonus. Yeah. So thank you guys for listening and stay safe out there, passengers. And as always, choo-choo, motherfuckers. Now go home and get your fucking shine box.